Hi, this is Jennifer Zeman, your host of The Food That Binds. I'm a restaurant critic and food writer based in Atlanta, and this is a podcast about food and relationships through the lens of mostly Atlanta-based folks with a really fascinating point of view. I hope you find it just as interesting as I do. Today's guest is Chef Justin Dixon. Hi, Justin. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Could you introduce yourself to people who might not know who you are? I am, well, my name is Justin Dixon. I am the chef and owner of Mumble Mumble Sandwich Shop here in Midtown, Atlanta. I am a chef. I am, more importantly, active in the city of Atlanta. Actually, your Insta is Issa Black Chef, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. just so there's no, just so there's no, uh, no misunderstanding about the, uh, if you're reading the room. <laughs> so I do want to talk about what it's like to be a black chef in America and in Atlanta, but first I want to just kind of learn about you. Um, you know, really your superhero backstory or, um, you know, if there is one, uh, really all the way back to, I go, like to go back to the first moment that you knew food was going to be a thing for you beyond something that you just wanted to do. So like when you were like, okay, I, I need to be in this industry. This is what I want to do for a living. Uh, mine, uh, again, mine would probably be a, uh, villain origin story and I'm <laughs> totally okay with it. I'm, you know, I've, I've accepted it. Uh, I, I, I would actually say, um, it started super young. Um, and I think it for a lot of, you know, I don't know what I want to say a lot, but many, you know, it started out of necessity, you know, um, I was a latchkey kid growing up. My mom, my mom and my stepdad both worked second shift. Um, with, you know, when I was coming up. So I would get all, get out of school, you know, early on, it'd be like 2.30, you know, afterwards, it'd be like 3 o'clock, 3.30, depending on, you know, what the level of school I was at. And when I got home, they weren't there. And usually when they, uh, whenever I finally, uh, and when they finally got home, I would be school. You know what I mean? So if I wanted to eat, I had to figure it out for myself. Um, and, you know, it started with, uh, you know, microwave things, and then it moved to things that could go in the oven, and, you know, breakfasty things. And, you know, this was like, you know, 19 years old. And then I think I was 12 or 13 when I cooked my first, like, Thanksgiving dinner for, like, my entire family. But, you know, and in hindsight, that is so crazy shit. Like, I, I cannot believe that you would let that, that like, I have a 10-year-old daughter. And I cannot uh, picture her in two years cooking a full Thanksgiving dinner. No, no, no. <laughs> my aunt used to be like the Thanksgiving. She was in charge of Thanksgiving for a number of years. 
And it started off, you know, one year I would just be picking green. You know, then it became filling potatoes. And it was making cornbread. And then making pies. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just did Like, I remember that year, I was just like, ah, fuck it, I got it. Not necessarily in those words. <laughs> so, were you Not growing up? Words. Did you have siblings? Like, where? I what was? Uh, my my I am my mom's only child, and my my dad has three other children. My older sisters Tara and my two younger sisters Raven and uh, Jasmine, and then my stepfather has a son, uh, CJ. You know, and he, you know, would come, you know, during school holidays and whatnot. And they would. Um, and so you were cooking for, for your whole family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was out of necessity. But, like, like, did that ignite some sort of passion? Yeah. That's what, you know, because I wasn't, I wasn't doing it because I had, I, you know, like, Thanksgiving dinner, I didn't do that because I had to. I did it because I wanted to. Because it was like... It felt like I was doing something for my fan. And so that was kind of like the the root of it. It felt like I was doing something for my fan. That was the the root of it. And you know, it you know, that first time when somebody was something you've made. Like have you ever cooked something for the first time? Or you cook something that you've been trying to cook for however long and it's finally right. Mm-hmm. And Somebody takes a bite of it and they're like, oh, that's good. That is a, what's it called, serotonin release. <laughs> that is just like, oh. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Like, and I even, like, if, if nobody says something, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which is why I am in therapy now. Uh, no, but so, I, I understand. Like, when you master. When you, that's why I think cooking appeals to so many creatives because it's something that you can do and it's done and it's tangible and it's in your hands and you can hand it to someone and it's a very quick exchange, at least for me, um, what, when I cook for people. But exactly. when did it turn into a career? Uh, I was going to go one of three, three ways in life. Um, I, I've always been in policy. I love politics. I think it's fascinating. You know, I, I love American history, the good and the bad. Um, so I either wanted to teach like political science or civics, you know, or like English literature or American literature uh, as like a teacher, um, like probably on the high school level. Or I wanted to be uh, like a, a radio DJ, like a talk show, like a radio talk, talk radio personality. Or I wanted to cook. Uh, I found I found that I could do all of those cooking. <laughs> so, no, I understand that. You know, and you know, at the time when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was very, I was always cognizant, you know, of, of like a lot of kids weren't always cognizant of their family. Um, 
finance, you know, and I was always cognizant of my family finance, you know, and I never wanted to really be a, you know, I didn't want it to be a massive undertaking for me to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I just, I, I, you know, I just felt like the other options in my mind, somehow I made it up that the other options were way more expensive than gold and culture. I could kick my own ass for thinking that, but, uh, <laughs> I went to culinary school, so I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the, that's the, that's the mind of, mind of a, you know, 16, 17 year old. Mm-hmm. And um, I also just like, as I got older, politics became less of a thing for me. You know what I'm saying? Just mm-hmm. interact music and, you know, all of that kind of fell by the wayside. And I did it slowly, cooking just slowly became like my thing. Mm-hmm. And I said, I just pulled the trigger. I said, okay, I'm going to call this. And so can you take me through the trajectory of your career? Um, I first came, uh, I, I, I first became aware of you when you were at Wonder Kid. Um, and now you have gone off on your own with Humble Mumble, which is getting all the accolades for its amazing sandwiches and more. Um, can you tell people what your culinary career has looked like? Oh my God, it was a shit show. <laughs> uh, and why are you a villain? Is this like a Slytherin type of villain? Are we talking like Harry Potter Slytherin villain or like oh, hardcore Marvel no, villain? It, oh no, definitely not Marvel villain. This is, and, and it's not even like hardcore, like Voldemort, uh, or story. <laughs> this is more. Maybe I Draco? More, are you like more like no, Draco? I, 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 I'm actually an anti-hero. I'm a snake. I'm a snake. Okay, I like it. I like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, if I had to, if I had to, you know what I'm saying? It's sort of like I feel like there's a lot of people who would look at me and say that guy's a piece of shit, but don't know the whole story. Mm-hmm. And when you know, at the end, when you find out the whole story, and they're like, "Oh, okay, I, he's, he's actually all right," you know. <laughs> um. But I started, I went to the Art Institute of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I, uh, here's a, here's a uh, blast from the past for you. My first job was at Panels and Paws. Oh my God, that is a blast from the past. Those souffle potatoes live in my imagination though. Oh, like, for and, real. They, and they haunt my nightmares. <laughs> most, most of the scars on my arms are from making souffle potatoes in the fryer because you have to take the little pressed potatoes, drop them in the fryer, and basically throw hot oil on them and to make them uh, pop up. Um, so you're yeah, old school. I, oh yeah, I, I, I think I, I think I started like at the tail end of like the old school, you know, Gordon Ramsay. Uh, school of hard knocks kind of you know kitchy confidential mm-hmm. style mm-hmm. of cooking mm-hmm. um which 
you know, in hindsight was a very, it, it actually helped me persevere a lot coming up. Um, and it made me a little bit stronger. Um, and I think I have a little bit more give a fuck in the kitchen than uh, a lot of my counterparts. But we'll get into that later on in the uh, season. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I started off at Pendles and Paul's and, like, you know, you probably do the math and do the, I don't want to say his name, but he was, he was a, he was a hard man to work for my I would, you know, I'm 18 years old. First, I'm literally three months out of high school. You know, two months into culinary school. And I would come home every day and then from this, from the way this dude talked to me and yelled at me at these crazy outbursts. What year was uh, this? Oh, don't make me tell him. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Well, this was 07. Okay. No, I'm just trying to understand, like, where... Listen, I went to culinary school, like, before you did, so... <laughs> like, I'm older. <laughs> I graduated 95 from high school. No, but I'm just trying to understand where Atlanta's culinary scene was and kind of also where that fervor of chefs and celebrity chefs was at the time, because you, right. mentioned, you mentioned Ramsey and Bourdain which are older yeah. references, you know, right. and it was a different world. There wasn't a it lot was. of life work balance. It was okay for the kitchen to still be kind of an abusive place. Oh yeah. So my chef told me, he, he didn't tell me, he insisted the way a lot of chefs did back in the day that I come in at as early as possible, whether it be noon, 10 a.m., whatever to get my station set for service at night. And he just told me you need to get it ready, you need to get it done. Um, but you still can't clock in until three o'clock. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, um, like I remember the kitchen, I remember the kitchen at Panos Paul's always been extremely quiet. Like very lifeless. You know what I'm saying? Just heads down. Nobody really saying anything. Very desolate is a good word. Hmm. Um, you know, my second my second job was kind of a introduction into what I what I call a, a new wave of kitchen culture or a newer wave. Um, but I still feel like that that racism, that misogyny, that sexism was still very prevalent at that point, too. Um, this was in 08, and I started working at Spice Market. Mm. Which was the and John George uh, restaurant in the W Midtown? Yes, ma'am. In yes. Midtown, okay. exactly. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, let me tell you something. Yeah, it was a blessing at restaurant. Um, for the time that I did, uh, because I worked, let me tell you the name, that at the time, I wouldn't say they were huge names or big names or integral mm -hmm. names, but mm -hmm. now, you know, I kind of, I kind of work for them in their, their rookie season. Uh, Ian Winslade oh my was gosh, yeah, the executive, right. he was my executive chef. 
uh, Zeb Stevenson was the sous chef, and uh, Andy Gonzalez was uh, also a sous chef. So Zeb over at Redbird, and then uh, Andy who uh, owns the Canyon and Steinbeck. How did you end up at Wonder Kid? Wonder Kid was years and years later. You know, and that was, you know. But well, where were you in between uh, then? I'm sorry, you stopped. So I was like, okay. So oh, where? no, 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 no. Yeah. yeah. So in between that, you know, I worked for Sean Doty. I worked at Babette's Cafe. I uh, worked at Local Free, which was like my, that's where I really kind of made that transition from somebody who thought they were Jeff to somebody who why is it because of chris hall is it because of it was was because of chris it was because of chris hall it was because of the way the restaurant functioned you know what i'm saying that kitchen was starkly different from a lot of the kitchens that i had worked in prior to that it wasn't quiet you know what i'm saying people had smiles on their faces people were excited to be at work you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying Mm -hmm. it was it was a busier restaurant you know, he had just gotten out of the uh, Great Recession. Um, Local 3 was, it was that aha moment. It was, that's where I got it. That's where I really started to fucking get it as a mm. chef, as a cook. How, how, do you, how do you, not only how you feed people, but how you work with people. How you, how, what, what it's like to be on a team. What it's like to have, you know, a leader and not a boss. You know what I'm saying? And people mm-hmm. who are willing to divulge information. You know what I'm saying? Every about everybody around I learned something from everybody around me. The managers, the the bartenders, the pastry chefs, the pastry team. You know what I'm saying? Even the dishwasher, you know, dishwashers, servers, everybody, everybody I learned from, you know. It is the best restaurant I have ever worked at in my life, and I owe them so much. I am internally grateful. And they seem to do a really good job building community as well. I mean, like they give back so much. I mean, I mean, Chris Hall just—I mean, everyone says it. I was just at the High Museum wine auction this past weekend, and just everyone couldn't stop talking about how much he gives back to the restaurant community in Atlanta at large. Um, How did? You know, let's get let's like speed up to like current day, um, mm-hmm. you know, and just like you're you started working at Wonder Kid, which if you could explain what the concept of that restaurant is, because it's a little funky, right? It's like to Hell me yeah. more like di- diner utilitarian, but fun. So um, before I got to Wonder Kid, I and it, this all leads to Wonder Kid. Before okay. I got to Wonder Kid, I was the chef. My first chef job was at, at, at the shed at Glenwood. Um, I was there for about three years, and then I moved on to Bully Boy, and I opened Bully Boy, and I was there for almost a year. And then I got into some some shit at uh, Bully Boy, and then I got let go at Bully Boy, and then and I applied for the job at Wonder Kid and got it. And Wonder Kid was something that seemed like it kind of spoke to the way that I liked it. It didn't feel like it, it was something that was cool, but didn't take itself too seriously. 
you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that that's kind of the that's kind of the the, the world that I, I live in. Um and Wonder Kid is a diner, um, for all intents and purposes. Um but it you kinda wanted to defend it, you know, for good and bad, you know what we all understood a diner to be. And, you know, it's sort of like, what if you took the most, uh, let's say you took the restaurant at, you know, Four Seasons and dropped it down to the lowest common denominator, what would you get? And then what if you took the Waffle House, the Waffle House, excuse me, and you turned it up to the highest common denominator? What would you get? I love that. You know, and somewhere in the middle is what we try to present one to be And so, uh, you know, and everything was great, and we were doing our thing, and then COVID happened. <laughs> of course, right as you're getting in your groove into a cool yeah. concept where you can be totally creative, right. you can't serve people anymore. Yeah, and so then, you know, that's when the, I think that's when the villain origin story really started. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I kid, I kid. Okay. No, so, um, you know, COVID was hard. I'm, it, it is hard. It's still hard. You yeah, know, I was going to ask you about it, too, so please talk about it. It's it's like this, it's the elephant in the room, it's the, it's the, the C word, it's, it, it, I remember the day that I had to go tell everybody that works in my kitchen that I had to lay, lay them off, mm. you know, and that I didn't have any work for them, and not only that, I had no idea. Like the, the at, like honestly, you know, there's no there's nobody on this planet that would uh that you that knew then that we would be two years, almost three years later. It's Still crazy. Good. It's we're you in the third year now. Mm-hmm. You know, we were we thought we were all just gonna hang out at the house. And all of a sudden, it's like this thing that drags on, okay, now it's three months, now it's eight months, now it's a year, year and a half. And it's, and it's been perpetual, you know what I'm saying? And, the, and, it, and it nearly broke me as just like a person, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. opening restaurants hard and it takes a toll on the people who do it. I don't care how organized the restaurant is. I don't care how much of a budget the restaurant has. Launching a restaurant is hard. It is hard work and it takes a toll and then most of the time the people who do it don't get a break because now they have to, now that they've opened the restaurant, now they have to deal with actually running an open restaurant. And customers. Yeah. And guests. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. 
and most of the time, any restaurant of any kind of note, it's business shit. It's the busiest point of any restaurant's life, more more often than not, than the first six months of the game. And, you know, those first two months were a whirlwind. Like, I barely remember them. That, you know, that's how crazy it was. And then um, COVID happened, so we have to switch gears. And I'm the only person in the game. You know, trying to produce food. And were you all completely, like, to go at that point? Yeah, we were all we were completely to go. I'm the only person in there cooking at, you know, what I'm saying. We went from a staff of almost 50 people staff of four people in like three days that's nuts you know um you know and i'm like totally alone you know prepping washing dishes preparing food bagging it up and also you know at what i at the time what i thought trying not to die <laughs> you get no what pressure I'm no pressure. No pressure. No pressure. No, you know, easy peasy. <laughs> and you know, then there's some a little bit of light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel. So you try to bring a little bit more staff, bringing staff back. Now you kind of gotta retrain the staff that you had with the COVID protocol. You know. Then you're dealing with some of the staff not really being sold on COVID, and you know, you know, that's a lot. Yeah, and then you know, and then you know, then we're trying to bring people back. We gotta, you know, and then the whole stop-start situation of 2020, where they're like, okay, we're gonna open back up. No, we're not gonna open. We're opening. We're gonna open partially. Or you can have this many people in the building at a certain time, but everybody still gotta wear masks and you know, it you know, it and so I'm in a situation at Wonderkid where I have owners who are demanding me to produce. You know what I'm saying? Produce food, produce you know, numbers that are in line with the budget, you know what I'm saying, keeping stuff, keeping costs under control, and then also, you know, putting out the best product possible. Then on the flip side of that, I have um, uh, staff that are like, y'all are paying me nothing. And now, instead of working the job that one person would work, I'm working the job of three people. When I could have just stayed at home. That's a hard sell. It is, you know. And and then I got get, and then we got guests coming into the restaurant, cussing us out, you know, having attitudes because we're asking them to wear a fucking mask. And they don't feel like they should have. You know, 
So I'm like, I, I, I just, it was too much. It was too much for anybody to have to go through. And I, and, and then a lot of times, one thing that I, is for certain, a lot of times, whenever a restaurant is struggling, the back of the house staff is the portion of staff that really has to take the brunt of that. Oh yeah. You know, it it's always the back of the house staff who's underpaid, who you know has to do more for less, and you know, but it's the lifeline of the restaurant. You know, a restaurant is not a restaurant without food. I don't care how how good your wine is. You know what I'm saying? And I don't care how beautiful your restaurant is, if it doesn't have food, it's a fucking showroom. And um, I felt like, I felt like, honestly, that the owners of Hunter Kid didn't get that. Like, one thing that Chris Hall always said that always stuck with me, that sticks with me to this day, People matter most. And without the people to bring, to breathe life into a restaurant, a restaurant is just four walls. Mm-hmm. He always said that, and that's always stuck with me. And I, and I truly believe that. And I felt like a lot of the times at Wonderkid, the people in that company were not a priority. And that's not okay. Especially in the world that we were we were trying to operate that restaurant. So I walked away. And at the time you were getting a lot of press there. I mean I remember you we were, were everywhere. But you particularly yeah, we- as the chef were getting a lot of press. So that was a you know, to walk away from a gig where you're like ascending, like, you know, you obviously did it for values, right? Yeah, it was, it wasn't, my thing was, you know, I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel like my staff felt, I didn't feel like my staff was appreciated. I didn't feel like the other managers, the other leaders in the restaurant didn't feel appreciated. I didn't. I felt like they got shit on by the people who owned the restaurant, and I felt like we were getting shit on by the guests that came in. You know, and all and all we were doing was the best that we could do with the situation that we were in. And nobody, I felt like no one understood that. And there was, there was no grace for us, you know. And my thing was, okay, as much as I love this restaurant, and as much as I, as much as I put into this restaurant, if no one else in this building cares about me the way that I care about what goes on this building, then I might as well go. I, I might as well put this effort into my own. And that's what you did, right? And that's exactly what I did. 
And so, tell us about and, you know, what you did. Tell us about Humble Mumble. Humble Mumble is my it's my baby. It's my <laughs> it's my little bundle of joy. And it is and it, and it is the cause of several fucking panic attacks in the last seven months. But, <laughs> you know, you know, risk reward, right? Right. Uh Humble Mumble, first of all, the name is my favorite outcast, you know, and it, it's about, and Humble Mumble is about overcoming and reaching goals, you know, just navigating through cool, you know, at least that's what I get from that, you know, that song, you know, I could be wrong, but hey, um, it's my interpretation. So, I love that song. And then I look at the landscape here in Atlanta. I feel like we didn't have any standard stuff. You know, besides like the change in public. Don't get me wrong, the public stuff is big, that. <laughs> but I felt like there was no culture. I felt like we didn't have the culture to um, I felt like we didn't have that sandwich culture in the city. Does that make sense? Stuff like the way it is in Philly or New York or Chicago, you know, or San Francisco. You know what I'm saying? You, there was no neighborhood sandwich shop where you can get a good sandwich and a pickle and, and a side, you know, or whatever. Unless you went out to like Mustard, you know what I'm right. saying? Um, so that's kind of what I wanted wanted to create, and it's also a sandwich shop because I feel like the the way that restaurants work is possible. You know, I feel like the restaurant industry is built on free labor, and it's just how do you mean free labor? Well, when I say free, when I say free, what I mean by free is it's underpaid labor, I should say. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, most, you know, when I was coming up, I made under $10 an hour the first seven years of my career. You know, I had to, there were, for the majority of my career, I had to have more than one job. And I looked at friends in other, you know, in other industries, and that wasn't the case. And I, and I just, I, for the life of me, I didn't understand why that was. And it was because the, the restaurant industry is structured on labor being super low. You know, and I can understand that from both sides because you want to pay somebody, you know, $80,000 to cook food, you're going to have to charge, you know, 50, 60 bucks for a plate of, you know, pasta. And that's not, that's not, you know, no one's going to pay for that. You know, it's not, it's not logical. So people have to make those sacrifices to make restaurants work. And I just felt like I wanted to do something that was less formal, 
took up a smaller footprint and figured out a way to pay people properly and help them have the work-life balance that they deserve. Right. And do you feel like you're accomplishing that? Well, I feel like I am because, I mean, right now, you know, at once at at Humble Mumble, you know, it's just me. It's one main show right now. You know what I'm saying? Because until I get it to where I wanted to be, where we are, where I could pay people what they deserve, then I'll just do it myself. That's kind of my mindset. Like, I don't want to pay somebody from to come work in this restaurant. You know, I work, you know, and it's, well, I, when I say restaurant, I mean pop. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that's the, that's the gist of Bubble Bubble. And I found during COVID, the things that the, the things that sold the best when I was at Wonder Kid during COVID was the sandwiches that we had on the menu. So apparently, I know how to make a good sandwich. I mean, that's what people say. <laughs> yeah, but, can, but your you sandwiches know. are not. I mean, like you talk about sub shops in Philly and New York, you know, where you can get a ha a, a hoagie or a sub. Um, it's and our public sub. They're like a different type of sandwich than you make, though, because I mean. I consider sandwich construction an art, but when I've seen sections of your sandwich taken and and the <laughs> amount of <laughs> the amount of layers that you get, it's like a mosaic. Can you like tell me like your philosophy? Like, do you, are you making food that is delicious to you? Like, what is your relationship to how you create the sandwiches? Well, I build them the same way I did. I build the sandwiches or I come up with the sandwiches the same way I did when I was building or composing dishes. You know, I wasn't just gathering, you know, meat, cheese, sauce, and some lettuce. It's like, okay, what makes this here? Okay. Like, you know, I chose specific uh, charcuterie for the Italian job for a specific purpose. You know, more which is one of your sandwiches, uh, yeah. the Italian job, just to give listeners an idea yeah. of the playfulness in Justin's cooking. Oh yeah, well, you know the names. I feel like most of those, you know, old school sandwich shops, the names are, you know, they're like cocktail names. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, the names have meaning. You know, so the Italian job, which is like one of my biggest, which is actually my best selling sandwich. You know, there's mortadella in that sandwich, you know, and that that's like that fatty, unctuous, you know, portion of the sandwich. Then there's, you know, uh, hot capicola, and that is, that introduces a good bit of uh, heat to the sandwich. You know what I'm saying? Then you got mm-hmm. salt, nutty, prosciutto, you know, and then there's provolone that just kind of round everything out. You know, and then there's pickled onions and peppers cut through a lot of that fattiness from the meat. You know, it that's the that's the thought process. So it's it's the same thought process as people or other chefs when they you know come up with a dish. I just compose the dish in between you know pieces of bread. <laughs> Do you still have the same love for the hospitality industry? Absolutely. 
absolutely. I don't think I would have. I, if that, if I didn't, I would have just gotten another career. If that makes it out of just jump ship, I'd use that opportunity when I left Wonder Kid, just go do something else. I didn't make, I didn't jump off the ship. I didn't make a upward movement. I made a lateral movement. If, if, if you, if I had to, you know, label it. So that's kind of, you know, that's kind of, I, I, I love this industry. I love the people in the industry. Um, and I feel like, I, I, I feel like I haven't done what it is I need to do yet. And what I mean, speaking of the industry earlier, you mentioned, you know, being a black chef in this industry is not an easy task. And I mean, I've been a restaurant critic now for 15 years and I've seen, you know, especially in the South that black chefs and restaurateurs, mixologists, what, what have you, they, they just don't get it. Bakers, they don't get as much due as their white counterparts. Um, can you just speak to that as a black man, as a black chef? Well, I'll say I'll say this. Um, I'll start with my personal uh, my personal perspective and my own story, and then I'll just kind of go thirty thousand feet from there. I coming up was never promoted at a restaurant at any restaurant that I've ever worked at. Every upward movement. I had to quit a job and apply for that next step. Even when the position was made available to me. I never, I was never promoted. I was never tapped for a position. I had to quit where I was because I hit a ceiling. And then I had to crawl up from underneath that ceiling and then somebody had to give me a shot more more often than not at a lower pay than whoever it was that I was taking that position from. And move up like that. So when I became a sous chef, I didn't become a sous chef at Local 3. I was a sous chef at Suspense. I didn't become the executive chef at Suspense. I had to move to the shed. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, you know, that's that was my pers that's my personal journey. And you can kind of read into that however you want, but I think it's pretty, you know, self explanatory. On the uh but moving further out, um Atlanta is basically considered a black city. You know, you can kind of, you can say, no, nah, that's bullshit or, or not, but Atlanta, as far as most messages are concerned, Atlanta is a black city. You know what I'm saying? It is. You know, everybody else has to be here, but it's a black city. <laughs> you know, I've, we've had, the last, what, 10 mayors have been African-American. I mean, like, you know, you look at Detroit, you look at Houston, you look at, you know, uh, most sometimes Chicago, depending on who you ask. But these are black 
these are historically black cities. Let's call them that, HBC. And I can count on one hand how many notable black chefs were in notable restaurants here in Atlanta for a long time. Now, it's a lot of us, I feel like. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the door is opening. I feel like, you know, journalists like yourself and, you know, like Mike Jordan and, you know, Beth McKibben and Leah Picard, y'all are making the necessary steps to give us platforms that we appreciate. You, you don't know how much we appreciate. You know what I'm saying? It, it's crazy. Uh, Nagaya uh, from the AJC did a piece. Um, it was like their uh, the AJC eats out kind of mm-hmm, deal. Mm-hmm. I literally gained like 500 followers on Instagram after that came out. And I mean, your food is beautiful. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, like. I mean, like, literally, like, I mean, there's a lot of sandwiches out there in this world, Justin, but like, like your sandwiches, like when I'm scrolling on Insta on Instagram, like your sandwiches make me stop and be like, what is that? And what is that layer? And oh, my God, I have to get there. And I know it's not just sandwiches that you do. Um, I know that is what this restaurant is. But, and mm-hmm. I, I know your skill set is so much broader, so I don't want to like pin you as a sandwich chef, but it is the, the corner that you're carving out for yourself today. Right. Right. Um, but and, and let me tell you something. I, and let me just say this: I don't mind being known as a sandwich guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's fine as long as I get my seat at the table. You know what I'm? Mean? That's 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 the uh, important because I am just as good at, at what I do as any chef in the city right now. That's doing what I do. You know, that's and that's not a that's not a flex. That's just me saying what is I feel is true. I worked on the same chef these guys worked on that I put in the same hours. I have the exact same understanding of food, flavor, and 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 you know, product. I mean, so I don't think there's is- any shame in selling a sandwich. I know plenty of guys with like Michelin, not Michelin, sorry, CIA educations that are making their livings off of cheeseburgers and living very happy lives. So very happy lives. You got to make a living. You have to support your family. Like you know, it, they, these are people's livelihoods as well. So I don't feel like you have to even apologize for being a sandwich right. guy at this time. But um, I mean, is for sandwiches? Is are sandwiches like a comfort food for you? I always try to like really identify with every guest what foods bring them the most comfort like the kind of food that like you can eat over and over every day and never get sick of it what what is that for you i don't for, for me it's breakfast food honestly and i think that was one of the things that kind of uh, uh threw me to wonder kid you know but i love breakfast food. i love eggs you know eggs are one of my favorite things i can eat scrambled eggs and anything you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, but breakfast is a hard sale in Atlanta. 
And there's a lot of breakfast places in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? And I just felt like, you know, it, everybody likes a sandwich. Even the most vegan of vegans will eat a sandwich. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, there's the salad sandwiches in Australia, you know, so, which and, makes and, sense and to me. That's one of the, aside from pasta, sandwiches are the only, one of those multicultural things. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it transcends party line, race, religion, creed, you know, sexual orientation, all of that. You know what I'm saying? And if I can do something and no one else is doing it right now, except, you know, unless they have a couple of sandwiches on their lunch menu, but there aren't really any like true sandwich shops in Atlanta. There probably will be now that I, you know, you know, because I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> <laughs> and a character. Yes. Yeah, but, um, but, but seriously, just like even deeper into that question though, like if you are cooking for yourself and, you know, and you are like, what is the thing that you like to eat the most aside from eggs? Like what's a full meal that you're going to sit down and you're going to eat and it's going to bring you a lot of comfort? Oh Even my if it's God. a breakfast so, Yeah. Well, I actually know. You know what? I just thought about, like, my favorite dish is oxtails and rice. That is mm. my, that is my go-to. Like, if I got time and if I'm, the, if I'm in a bad way, that is my go-to. Why? You know, my mom, my mom makes great oxtails and rice. You know, and it's, it, if my mom makes great oxtails, my dad makes great oxtails. And that's one thing that's always been in my life for as long as I can remember. So there's that there's that uh nostalgia that's connected to that. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? And not to mention that that dish, that oxtail was rooted in blackness. You know, so it was a it was a it was a throwaway and now now they're damn near like 15, 20 bucks a pound. Yeah, they're ridiculous how much oxtails are now. When they got trendy. You know, yes. They got yeah. trendy. You yeah. know, they, they, oxtails are the new hater thing. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, yeah. But so if people want to come and visit you, um, where are you? When are you open? Where can they follow you? Is there anything you want to promote? This is your space to do so. So, yeah. Uh, here, here's, here's some shameless propaganda. I am looking for uh, uh, investors because I'd like to make Humble Mumble a permanent thing. You know what I'm saying? I'd like to take that next step and I feel like I have a valuable product. That's one. But right now, uh, you can find me at Dakota. I am doing an extended uh, residency here. Lunchtime, 11 a.m. to 3, Monday through Friday. Um, and it's at the, the collective at Dakota. It's the food hall here. Um, it's on the corner of 4th and Spring Street. It's where you can find us. That's um, where right that's a, where Hector Santiago is, right? 
Yes, it is. Hector's right up. He's literally across the hall. Uh, Aviva by Camille is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cool Holy little. Murray it's a cool little hall with that food uh, with the little area you can eat outside. It's it's a neat area. Exactly. It, yeah. it is. It is. And if I'm not mistaken, they opened this food hall right when COVID started. So they're trying to get, you know, they're trying to get it, you know, up to where it should be, you know. So definitely come out and not just support me, but support all the other businesses that are that are here because, you know, they deserve it. And they're putting out some skills too. And you're open what days? Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Okay. So come get lunch. I'm available on uh, Uber Eats right now. And I'm trying to figure out DoorDash uh, to make that available. You know, we do cater, you know, um, and then follow us on Instagram at CompleBubbleAPL. Um, honestly, that's the handle for everything CompleBubble. Okay. Or you can visit our website, CompleBubbleAPL.com. Well, it's been certainly lovely speaking with you, Justin. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. You know, everyone go check out his sandwiches. His Instagram has tons of dishes that he serves at Humble Mumble. And then you can also just keep up with him. Like personally, he's very into plants. He calls himself a plant daddy as well. (laughs) I'm very into plants as well. So I identify with sandwich love and plant love. Um, But again, thank you so much, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Justin for joining me. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me as Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. We're going to be taking next week off. So we'll be back in two Sundays with Chef Brian So. Again, thanks for listening. This has been Jennifer Zeman with The Food That Binds.